Girls on Film works hard to bring you diverse guests from across the entertainment spectrum. Plus, it's amazing the fabulous people we get to meet. Today, the girls talk with filmmaker Ivy Mirapol, granddaughter of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Miss Mirapol's 2004 documentary, Heir to an Execution, explored the lives of her grandparents, the only two American civilians to be executed for espionage-related activity during the Cold War. Her latest work explores the life and times of Roy Cohn, a key player in the trial of the Rosenbergs, and an incendiary figure in American politics, all the way up to his influence on Donald Trump. Girls on Film goes inside the documentary, Bully, Coward, Victim, the story of Roy Cohn, with Ivy Mirapol right now. everybody, this is Sarah Smith with Girls on Film, and I am with my honorary girl, Port Wilson. Hello, Port. Hello. <laughs> I try to sound extra deep. <laughs> you need to take some more estrogen as an honorary I'm not girl. taking enough? No. Okay. No. You still have all that hair on your face. Um, we are at the um, offices of, where are we? 360 Media, and they do a lot of work with the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival, which is one of the largest film festivals, one of the largest Jewish film festivals in the world. It's the largest in the country, isn't it? I believe it's the largest in the country, but they say, you know, one of the largest. So I'm trying to. Well, to we also stick had so much that. fun here last year. So oh we my had God, to come back. we had a great time. And the people that we um, have interviewed with AJFF have been incredibly impressive, and today is absolutely no different. We are here with Ms. Ivy Mirapol. And did I say your name correctly? You did. Excellent, because we had a big debate in the car on the way over here today. Mirapol, Mirapol, Mirapol. Yeah, it was... Oh, yeah, there's many variations. Okay, and it's it's a beautiful name. Thank you. It's a beautiful name, and probably interesting about how you got it also. So... Um, Ivy is a film producer, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have three major productions that have been are out. Is yes. that right? Well, I'm a yeah, I'm a director, director, producer, producer, and I've yes, I've made a handful of feature films, and I've made documentary series, and I've worked on other people's shows and documentaries Fantastic. for many years. Fan- when did you start um, doing that? Because I saw you we did a little bit in politics. Yeah, well, I, I worked um, on Capitol Hill for a congressman. Just a little bit of politics many there. Many years ago, okay. when Capitol Hill was a little more friendly. And it, right, and it moved you. <laughs> it moved you to do to make a... Yeah. Make, a, make a series. Actually, yes. Yeah, that's Called right. The Hill. Called The Hill. Yeah, yeah, that was based on my own experiences yeah. being quite young and having the really you know, quite heady experience of advising a member of Congress in my early 20s. That's very exciting. <laughs> I can, yeah. I can it was, only it imagine. Was, it, was, it was great. I mean, I missed creative work after a while, and, yeah. I, and I, you do get burnt out because the same arguments keep coming up over and over again. Wow. And when you're young and, you know, you believe that you're going to make change and then, and then it doesn't happen, it can be very, quite demoralizing. But right. 
uh, I did love that work and it taught me a lot. Yeah, yeah. it seems like an, a very immersive experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, and would leave its mark on you. How, yeah. how many years later did you produce The Hill? Um, so I was working on Capitol Hill probably for about five years, starting in 1991. We're going way back. Uh, and, hello, uh, I'm, I'm two years older than you. So. Okay. <laughs> That's, I gotcha. And then I, I made my first film, um, which premiered in 2004, called Heir to an Execution. Right, very good. Which is quite related to the current film about yep. Roy Cohn. We yep. can go back to that. Absolutely. But, um, and then right after that, I launched into The Hill. So I, uh, that premiered in 2006. Gotcha. The Hill series. Gotcha. I would... Oh, well, well, I, just go ahead. Off the top, how do you transition from working on the hill? How did you make that transition? Oh well, okay. So I so I worked. So I waited tables. Well, there you <laughs> as, go. That's as, a transition. As, as one does <laughs> when they're trying to restart something. All right, right. I should say as I I found that to be a good way to earn a living while trying to restart. Uh, start a new life right. as a freelance journalist. I was writing screenplays. I was cobbling together a living. You Where know, were you and, living at the time? Well, I so I had left Washington D.C. and moved with a boyfriend to Florida, Shocking. of all places. Okay, so you're um, doing all this in Florida. I was kind of do, well. I only lived there for a year, and okay. then and then I moved to New York. Gotcha. Um, and I was living in Brooklyn and in an apartment with three other people. Gotcha. And, and kind of, you know, I was doing all sorts of work to just. I, I wanted to get my clips together, you know, right. as a journalist right. and and writing screenplays. And what ha started to happen is that my family story started weighing on me, and and kind of interfering. I kind of felt it, it was getting it, it was informing you know so much other work I was doing. I was like, you know what, this is the thing that I have to do Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. And for I'm so glad you took us to that place because I I understand that. And that's um, so for people who don't know, my grandparents were Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. My father is their eldest son. So I grew up, and Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, for listeners who don't know, I mean, the basic story is that they were accused of stealing the secret of the atom bomb right. and giving it to the Soviet Union, right. and they were executed in 1953 um, for Under conspiracy. Under the auspices of the offices of Joe McCarthy. Yeah, well, McCarthy himself didn't have much to do with it okay. um, because... He was a you know senator in Washington, but this so they were prosecuted in New York City. Gotcha. And what happened, um, you know, the it was, this was during the Red Scare. Yep. They were communists. They were Jewish communists. They were. Um, that's a very complicated story. So, but my I needed to understand who they were as people because right. I kind of grew up with them as a people either thinking of them as ultimate evil, or these pure innocent martyrs. And I knew there was something somewhere in between. Right. Um, and and I knew that there were a lot of people who knew them weren't going to be around much longer. And, so, and if I didn't do it, those stories would be lost. It sounds like it was bubbling up. Like you said, it was bubbling up to the surface continually. Yes. And it just had to come out some way. Exactly. Okay. So I, you know, that's what got me into make documentary film. It wasn't, you know, I actually didn't set out to be a documentary filmmaker. It was that story that dictated the medium, you yeah. know, I, and then I, and then I fell in love with it because it married so many of my interests and I can now, you know, pursue some, anything that I'm interested right. in via documentary film. Right, right. So let's talk about the film that is being previewed at this amazing 
Film Festival. Yeah, this festival is just remarkable. It is. Um, it I, is. you know, we we premiered. So this film is called Bully Coward Victim: yep. The Story of Roy Cohn. And Roy Cohn was the assistant prosecutor in my grandparents' case. He he prosecuted, and he was about 22, 23 years old. Right. Uh, yes. Amazing. And, you know, so I've always known, I always knew his name, but didn't know much else about him. And um, what, what happened was I, in 1988, the AIDS quilt was um, yep. displayed um, in Washington, D.C. on the mall. And it's, you know, 10,000 or so panels of, you know, people writing these right. beautiful messages to loved ones yep. who've died, who died of AIDS. And it was the height of the AIDS crisis. And my father and I went to visit that quilt, and I was in college. And the first panel we walked up to no. Roy Cohn. was Roy Cohn. No. Somebody had actually created a panel. We found out later there was one other in that mass of That's panels. unbelievable. And the panel said bully coward victim. Mm. And Roy Cohn and his and you know that he had and I was struck cuz I had I knew his name but at that point I hadn't really followed him and I didn't know he was gay and I didn't know he had died of AIDS. And I in, and from then on I thought what who is this person and I need to know more about him. Did Fast your, forward did so your many dad years. talk well, about him? That's too. What I'm yeah. Sorry, did you and your dad ever talk about him growing up? He must have had this. A, a little bit, but I mean, you know, it was interesting because the villain in that store, in our family story, for me had always been David Greenglass, who was my grandmother's brother, who testified, made up stories about them, right. about her in particular, to save himself and his family. So for me, it was always this. You know, he was the bet. He was the one we focused that I focused on at least as a kid, and the judge. So you know, I always a judge Irvin Kaufman. He was that was a name. Roy Cohn didn't factor in as much. Just as there, you know, I just had didn't know much about him. I think he's kind of the focus in retrospect because yes. of what he became. Well, now know? I know so much more about what he did and how he made sure that even my grandmother, who was innocent, was executed. What made so, you decide to do? So this film, so yeah, so that planted the seed uh, in my mind of what this complex character and, and how like, bizarre, you know, like, and who was he? Fast forward all these years later, I thought, I, I really thought a lot about making, I, for the handful of years the pa- in the past, maybe five years, I thought about making a film about him, but then I thought, I really wanted somebody else to do it because I didn't want to revisit my family story it's exhausting it's exhausting and it's also i have a lot of stories i want to tell and i don't want to be always telling my family story it's good to go back in i had done it with airdon execution i really wasn't relishing the idea of revisiting it okay what brought you back in Donald Trump got elected. I told you. you I were, told you. She said that in the car. <laughs> <That's> a, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's really true. I mean, I, I understand it completely. I, I woke up the morning. Well, barely because I had tried to drink myself to death. But the night before, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I woke up the next. I said, I got to make this film now. There you go. I I felt I had it was a mission. Brilliant to do it, Brilliant. and I said, I will. I will go. I will tell the family story again, but it's his story of Cone. So obviously I needed more than just right. um, the connection to my family story because that's how he started his career. Right. And then he went on to do a lot of other 
Wonderful things. And wonderful things. And I wanted to explore this closeted man who who lived who who his self-loathing turned him into a monster. I believe. Yes. yes. And were you worried as that you were going to have any kind of objectivity problem? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I work hard to to. Oh, yeah. Push back against that. Uh, yeah, yes, I I wasn't worried. I think other people might have been. Right. Uh, and assuming, you know, that I'm I'm on, you know, this is my revenge film. I, I'm on behalf of my father and my uncle. And you know, certainly I do. I I wanted yeah. to expose him, but I want to expose him for a much bigger reason than just for our, my family. Yeah. I wanted to expose him for his connection to Donald Trump. Hello. And what and you know, where we are now right? I mean, and how, how horrific. So for me, it was, you know, Donald Trump is moving into the White House. That means Roy Cohn is moving into the exactly. White House. And how could this be happening? And he learned a lot of tricks from him. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No, yeah. the playbook is very apparent. Yeah. So please go do some, listeners, please do some other research besides just this podcast on Mr. Cohn if you are interested in understanding the activity of our illuminous president. <laughs> well, his playbook is apparent with the over-the-top accusations to muddy the waters. Yep. I mean, unbelievable. Oh, so much. I mean, there's so many parallels. I Were mean, you scared a, at all at moments making this movie? Um, not really. I mean, I went. It's to, pretty brave. It's. I mean, thank you, but I. You know, I. I I mean, I have to, yes. I mean, at a certain point when we were really digging into the Trump connection. Oh, yeah. I certainly, you know, thought, well, what could what could they do? What could the Trump administration do? But, you know, I don't think it's even on his radar yet. I'm hoping when we are in wider release. Um, it, when be. It, it will be. He'll get a, I, he'll get a two-minute synopsis from maybe someone. Maybe I'll get a tweet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a badge of honor. Yep, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um. But no, you know, it's it's funny. I get into this mode because I, I made a film um, that came out in 2015 called Indian Point about a, the nuclear power plant that's just outside New York City that's a dangerous power plant. And I went to Fukushima and inside and filmed in no. Fukushima. Wow. That's astonishing. And it's a, it's a strange thing. I mean, I remember my son, um, he was about 12 at the time, and he said, he said Mom, why, do you, why would you go to Fukushima just for a film? Yep. And I thought... I don't, you know, that yeah. it's a good question. You know, I'm, there is something that happens to me when I get into, when I want to tell the story right. that I stop worrying about. Now I'm not going, I, I don't go to war zones. I'm not, I mean, I have many documentary colleagues who go much more dangerous situations than I do, but you do, you do the story you're trying to tell you kind of everything else falls away and you, in I, retrospect, yeah. you say, wow, that was kind of crazy that I went to Fukushima, but <laughs> Have, it needed to be done. It needed to have, be done. I had the opportunity. I'm very curious about the motivation and the 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 massive thumbprint of hearing about uh, these trials of your grandparents and their execution in the 50s, mm-hmm. which a lot of you know is very very close on the heels of world war ii and um anti-semitism yeah and people people never people don't think about that a lot um and they should think about it a little bit more but i just 
would love to hear about how your understanding developed as a kid and kind of made this ingrained. Mm-hmm. The story is in your DNA. Yeah. It literally is in your DNA. Yeah. It's in your mind. It informs you as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just incredibly fascinating. Well, I think, um, you know, I at a very young age, I knew what had happened to my grandparents. So it's shocking. It was, it's a haunting, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a terrifying thing to, to understand. And I mean, and I, of course, I shouldn't say I understood what, what happened was, uh, um, my younger brother is adopted and I knew that my father had been adopted and that's why our name is Mirapol and not Rosenberg. And, but I didn't know really what had happened, but at a quite young age, I think I was six or seven. I kept asking, well, dad, what happened to your other parents? And they wouldn't tell me. And I kept asking, and I was always a very persistent. So your dad <laughs> wasn't like angry about it, or well, let's let her finish. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my father had had grown up with it. My father was ten when they were executed, yeah. so you know he found he was angry, but he was also you know he he had been raised by another family who gave him a lot of love, and he always says when people say because that is a pertinent question. I've had you know the. Producers I was working with on the first film, Aired in Execution, were always, when they're looking at footage I was filming of my father, say, how is he not an axe murderer? How is this guy? Because like, right. he's actually one of the most content and, you know, genuinely happy in a lot, in a fundamental way, people that I know. Unbelievable. And I'm not just saying that because he's my dear dad, but he's yeah. like, that's just who he is. Right. Um, sorry, I went off on a tangent. That's okay. But he, you know, this so... This interesting so Aaron, So he... So at, at that young age, I was at, I was you know I was asking what happened to your other parents. He and my mother decided to tell me. Um, well, there's this thing called the electric chair, and oh you know I mean this is '70s parenting too, by the way, <laughs> which I like to tease them about. Yeah, so there's a lot of you know kind of maybe oversharing or right. over. I mean, or just but but also it's. I shouldn't, I'm not, I'm not no, my, judging it. It's just, it's just how it was. My and, parents let me see the exorcist when I was seven. Yeah, exactly. Which is so, horrible. Right. My children, my children are still stunned. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and you look at how we protect, you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm like my 14 year old. Are you old enough to see that? You know? Right. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, you know, yeah. so, but we also, you have to understand, <laughs> I was growing up in a very rarefied world where we, I was surrounded by people who knew who we were and supported us and were kind of, you know, they were with us, right. which is not like most of the country. So for, but for a long time, I felt pretty protected. And I thought, well, we're just kind of this normal family and I'm, you know, which is not true. Um, and, you know, I went to like a radical Jewish summer camp where you know, all the bunks are named after, you know, revolutionary heroes and the Rosenbergs are heroic figures. And, but, um, another turning point for me was I was about 11 years old and at that same camp for movie night, they decided to show a documentary about my grandparents called the unquiet death of Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, which is a newsreel doc, but just so heavy, obviously, and I saw for the first time images of my father and my uncle as young boys going in and out of Sing Sing to visit wow. their parents. And I was, it was devastating for me. I ran out of there crying, of and I was, you did. 
and I felt like completely overwhelmed by the story. So I think there were these points in my childhood where I just couldn't grasp. And it was always looking through the point of view of what happened to my father. I couldn't quite fathom. They were too far off, you know what I mean? I mean, they were, but it was what, how could this happen to a little boy? And that's my dad. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think carrying through to, to make, deciding to make Aaron execution is I, I had these questions. I wanted to know, I wanted to understand what was worth standing up for so much that they were willing to die and leave their children. Um, and then also, where was the rest of the family? Why were, why was my father adopted by a couple who didn't have any connection to their biological parents? when there were all these other family members and no one took them in. There's a lot of betrayal in this story. Yeah. There's a ton. There's betrayal of country and betrayal of family. Yeah. So Unbelievable. I think I grew up not trusting, of course, not trusting the government at all. How could you? Which is ironic and it's interesting because then I decided to work for a member of Congress and I, you no, know, it I, makes perfect sense. But I, it's, it's a fun, I'm yeah. glad you can see that because yeah. I had a lot of friends when I was graduating from college who said, how the hell... How can you work for the government that killed your grandparents? I said, this member of Congress didn't kill my grandparents, and I actually believe in our system. You're a brave and lady. I, I just, I, it's like I want to go to the places and and understand. Um, my life. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's an unbelievable story. Yeah. Tell me, when you started making this um, movie about Roy Cohn. Hot on the heels of Trump mm-hmm. winning the election for president of the United States in 2016, um, were you determined? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I once I decided that I was going to do it, and it, and it moved quickly. I sometimes take a long time to make a film, and this one, I mean, the timing was just right. I mean, I it had to it had to be done, um, but. Like I was saying before, I really I knew that my family story was only going to take me so far. I needed more, obviously, and I wanted so I started digging around in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is, um, you know, a gay mostly gay community in the summertime, particularly, and I knew that Cone had spent time there, when you know that was where he could be more out and be more himself. Um, and so I started digging around, and I found this guy Peter Manso who had done a big interview he's a journalist he'd done a long interview with cone and he had tapes oh my god so you know that for me is you know that's gold right Right. for a documentary filmmaker so once i got access to the and he had all the other materials and when you see the film you'll see i mean it really to me that's i said okay now i have a film and I immediately went to HBO with my producing partner's motto pictures. And I have a good relationship with HBO already because they had done aired on execution. And um, they recognized very quickly what we had um, and then how important it was. And, you know, usually it takes a lot longer to get something greenlit. And I usually also have to raise money from many different sources. And that's how I made Indian Point. This one just went like Thrill. gangbusters. Oh, oh my god! Well, at and some so, point, is HBO recognizing the salacious possibilities? You say oh, Roy sure. Cohn, and people are like, oh, sure, you know, absolutely. It's a they, trigger word. You yeah, know? but they also, you know, you also have to 
I mean, they have to be convinced that you're the person to make it uh, as the filmmaker, which I believed I was. Yeah. I felt I was fated at a certain point. And that's what started to happen. All these things started lining up, like getting the access to those tapes. There's all these serendipitous moments, like the fact that, that we saw that, that panel um, the, the, on the AIDS quilt, that uh, we could have walked in at any point. It kind of pushed. It's like each, yeah. they're like plant. And then and once I started to to make the film, all these other things started to fall into place. And like discover, I mean, yes, of course, it's a lot about the work and the digging and you keep pursuing people and one thing leads to another. But um, I interviewed other journalists who didn't have their tapes. And then one woman did have some tapes. So I got even more. I got the the Trump story got deeper and deeper. And it it felt like, you know, I, I, it was, I was, you know, fated to make this film. Now, again, we haven't seen it and we, we want to see it, but when we will, yes. Um, what do you want people to, what are, what are people taking away after they see this? Well, um, I mean, they're take they're taking away just how, um, well, one, I mean, the most pertinent thing I think for now is is who Donald Trump really is. Amazing. I mean, let's talk about the fact that he got his start in New York City because Roy Cohn connected him with the mob. Right. All right. So he the the most dangerous, biggest criminals, mob bosses. Um, well, and his publicity machine, you know? Trump only wanted all that publicity. Yes. But it but it's but it's darker. Right. It's, it's darker than that. It's right. you know, it, there's real uh, real yep. evil there. And so Cone I mean, we we kind of joked in the it's a, editor, he's a brutal person in every a, way. In every way. Even in his tragedy as a person. That's brutal. Yes. Everything is brutal about him. I mean, you know, we also discovered, you know, that so Cohn mentored Trump. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. They were very close. He was not just his lawyer, he was his mentor. We pinpoint in the film when Trump started to think that he could be um, on a bigger stage and be in Washington. And it was Cohn that set that started that ball rolling. He he says they're using the same playbook. He says to Trump, yeah. "Hey, let's start petitioning you." I mean, so to back up, Cohn was instrumental in getting Reagan elected. Mm-hmm. So he's the Republican Revolution has happened in Washington. Cohn is has a great you know he's in with everyone there. He brings Trump along with him. He positions Trump, who starts to think of him so that he could be, you know, the the nuclear arms negotiator. I mean, it's absurd, but we have it in the film. Trump saying in interviews, "Yeah, I could be the nuclear arms negotiator. I could know everything you need to know about nuclear missiles in an hour and a half." It's the same guy that we're oh, dealing God. with now. He think, I mean, and the fact that so that's where and and that's when he started going to Moscow. Mm. And there, it's just so deep and so dark. I mean, we just we just scratch the surface, even in the film, um, of of what I'm sure, um, you know, started to happen in Moscow and started. I mean, who we you know that goes so far back. Um, we also have you know Cohn notoriously never paid his taxes, and he flaunted it. He he was open about it. And like someone else we know. Exactly. Yeah. No, it makes, Who else doesn't pay their taxes? You always imitate 
the um, most crucial kind of elements of your mentor. Yes. And I can see that, you know, I was in doing my homework, I was doing a lot of reading and immediately saw that connection and yes. understood what, what you were doing a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. So, yeah. and you know, we try in the film, we don't say, Hey, look at what Trump did and look at what, but you start You're to, weaving a picture together, weaving a picture. And by the end you start to realize, well, this is so horrific. And look what he's, I mean, you know, and he throws around all the language of that time, of the, the time period of the, right. of the Red Scare, too. And he turns it on its head, I mean, it, and uses it in a way that's just, uh, I, I, I find it just incredible it is. that we are where we are right now. It is. Um, it's astonishing. But in a way, it's almost like we haven't gone anywhere yes. since your grandparents right. were tried and executed we're still in the same place because history is history it stays there and we don't we don't understand it right we don't pay attention and and then you know so then trump gets elected and he started every once in a while i would hear him in the in the news throw out the name roy Cohn. right right Right. and i'm thinking do his followers have any idea who the hell he's talking about right no they don't and and doesn't matter maybe it doesn't seem like anything seems to matter but at, if i can just if i can just put one little wedge in there to make people th- give people pause and see how what a horrible person cone was and how he operated um and that and that trump is his accolade what was the most surprising thing that happened to you that you learned while you were putting this together Oh, that's, well, um, I mean, one of the things, I mean, if we're continuing to talk about the Trump connection, um, I mean, I was very surprised about this nuclear arms, nego- I mean, that we, that, 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 that is just, I've never heard that. Yeah. I, I mean, you're it, teaching me, right? it now. was, you know, that, that Cohn himself was actually, you know, the one who started to put Trump forward for that. Um, I think another another thing was that there is someone worse than Roy Cohn, and his name is Donald Trump. Right. That um, on a very personal level, he was really close with um, Cohn, but when Cohn got sick, he moved, he pushed him away. He abandoned him. He abandoned yeah. him. So, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised by that because he seems like such a you know um, he has no empathy. Yeah. Um, but I guess just, you know, hearing that story, gosh, I mean, there are so many, I mean, I, you know, I, maybe the other thing is that having all the tapes of Cone himself talking mm-hmm. about his own life, I think one of the things that really surprised me was that I was actually able to have some empathy for Cone. Okay. That makes sense. And, and it's, it's surprising and it's back to what, what you were asking, like how, you know, that I'm. You know, was I afraid that I would be completely non-objective and, and like just want to do a you know hatchet job revenge film on behalf of my family? And because I wanted to fight against that, I almost did a better job of fighting against it than I than I thought I could. Gotcha. That I could humanize someone like Cone um, to the point that I even started to feel that you know how sad that he didn't get to, he he was so he hated being a gay man so much that it 
it turned him into um you know this hor- horrific being yeah. and which then you know it made him cruel it made him cruel yeah and you know i i get asked a lot you know how could you have a title bully coward, i love the victim. title i love it thank you it's brilliant and it's a you know it's a reveal in yeah. the film like i said about you know with the panel but yeah. people don't like that i call him a victim because they hate him so much right. so how don't call how can you call him a victim i said listen Anyone who doesn't get to live the, uh, the life that they, you know, that they feel they belong in and have to hide is a victim right. of societal bigotry. Yeah. So that's just, you know, I'm, I, I have a sensitivity to that, I think, because I grew up being scared of people finding out who I was and, and feeling like I'm not, you know, that, I mean, now in a lot of ways it's ancient history and people like don't, but when it's I not. was a kid... The, right. I mean, look at where we are now. I mean, the the taint of being communist, a commie, you it's, know. But I it's mean, here we back. are with here back. we are, Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Bernie Sanders is not a communist, <laughs> you know. But here, you know, now he's being having to like talk about Fidel Castro, and it's all. I mean, it's just all. It's crazy. It's haywire. Yeah. And I think, but for me, having grown up with that, I'm particularly sensitive to anyone to any anyone who doesn't you know who has to hide yeah well does the empathy for cone stay with you after making this or what is your overarching feel for roy cone after making this yeah i mean that that's i think was the biggest surprise um i i i do i still have some i don't forgive him for what he did in uh, is in my family's case absolutely and what he did to other people he destroyed people's lives yeah and he has, you know, we have this great um, line from him. It's his own, you know, recording of a tape with him where he, he says, and we use it towards the end of the film, you know, um, he's asked by this uh, wonderful journalist, Lois Romano, you know, what do you say to people who say you've destroyed people's lives? He says, name one. You know, I mean, he completely unapologetic. And, you know, so I, I use that as almost a reminder to myself, too, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah. that... Um, even though I create some empathy for him in those sections where we're exploring that he was closeted, he he's still he's a still jerk bastard. Yeah. Um, so that's there's a much a, better word a, than jerk. <laughs> <laughs> can I say that? On yes. Um, <laughs> I can get. I can no, go further. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I I keep saying like I don't. You don't have to forgive someone to have empathy. True. Exactly. For where they're coming from. And the fact that And you, I think yeah. we all need, we could use a lot of more yep. empathy yep. right now. The fact that you have um, a multidimensional, emotional, and, and sort of psychological approach, to, to me, in, in my opinion only, is, is fascinating. And I understand it completely. Um, and I respect you so much Thank you. for that. Let me ask you something. Yes. How did you get connected to the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival? Well, because um, we're very proud of that here in the city. Oh, what an incredible! Yeah. Gift. I mean, it's this is so. I mean, I've also been treated as a filmmaker to be, you know, brought here. I asked. And I tre- asked for you. Did you? Yes. Oh. They were like, "Who do you want to interview?" And I was like, "I want to interview her." <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank yes. You. So thank you. But um, well. Um, they solicited a screener, which is even more, you know, kind of just flattering and wonderful to have that happen. I, you know, I, 
I have been on the Jewish Film Festival circuit before, Fantastic. and it, um, with Aired on Execution, of course, right, and and really enjoyed it. I mean, I was brought. I I mean, I went all the way to um, Australia for the Jewish wow. Film Festival in Melbourne, and wow. with Aired on Execution, yeah. And so I think I'm I'm known. You know, I mean, I, you know, in that in that arena. And so I think once this film came out, but we also, we premiered at the New York Film Festival. Okay. Right. Which put, you know, which was an incredible thrill um, and so exciting to, to have the film premiere there. Tell me a little bit um, about that. Oh God, it was just, I mean, it's a dream. The New York Film Festival is, uh, I mean, I wanted a New York premiere um, anyway yeah, because it's a sense. New York story. Hello. But the New York Film Festival, um, you know, based at Lincoln Center is just, it. it you know, there I was with Martin Scorsese, Pedro Almodovar, and me. <laughs> no, and and other documentary filmmakers. And but it's just an incredible experience. And and another thing I love about it, it's not a competition festival. Right. You know, you get caught up in this. Oh, you're going to win an award. You know, Sundance is such a such a scene, and it's so you know, it's about you know schmoozing and selling, and there's so much more going on. The New York Film Fest is purely about film, watching the, the film and the work. And the celebration of filmmakers and beautiful theaters. And it just was such a thrill. And I had, you know, John Waters was there and all my, you know, my, most of my subjects, they, we did a wonder, you know, they, with HBO threw a lovely party. It felt like a, a real celebration. Um, and so, but that is a wonderful launch pad too. Absolutely. So I was on a lot, a big festival like the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival will pay attention to what films are premiering at these top festivals right. like New York. Right. Sure. And and they'll see what they're interested in. And then they solicited a link and then they were so one they said, We love this film and we want to have you. And they they booked me ages ago. Fantastic. I mean they are so organized. Right. I mean, oh, the yeah. itinerary right. I got from them yep. and the way that they treat us and yep. flew me, I said, Of course I will I'd be Fantastic. thrilled to come. And you know, I mean just the 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 level, the moderators that they have. I mean, right. I, um, it, it's just been incredible already. Just, I had one screening so far, but I just felt, you know, how, big, how long are you here? In just Atlanta? till tomorrow. Okay. Well, what <laughs> I is, have two more screenings. What okay. has the reaction been? I know in, in one sense, preaching to the choir, maybe a little bit. What is the general reaction? Have you gotten any feedback? Yeah. Well, the general reaction has been terrific. I Good. mean, uh, audiences, First of all, there's an interest, so we're filling theaters, um, and I'm happy for the festival that we've been able to do and that. And it's so it's, timely. It, it's mm -hmm. sold. You know, we were in a big theater last night. It sold out. There was standby only. I mean, that's remarkable on a Monday night, pouring rain, and you know, you don't expect as a documentary filmmaker. There's many times there's seven people in gotcha. the audience. You know, <laughs> it's and and you know, you get used to it, and you you know, you do your Q and A, and you just hope for better. But this is. This film has been different. Nice. This film has been, it's, the, it's timely. People are, you know, a lot of people, especially a sophisticated audience like the, at the Atlantic Jewish Film Festival, yeah. they are going to, they know who I am, my family is, they know who Roy yep. Cohn is a little bit, so they're intrigued, so they're going to go. Um, but the, the Q&As are wonderful. I mean, people are just, they, they want to know so much more about my process, how, how I got the material, how... You know, one of the biggest challenges of the film was how to weave my family story in right. without overwhelming it, because it, it, like I said, it, that was just the beginning of his career. 
but yet it informs my entire life entire life and my point of view in the film and how do we do that without it becoming just this you know another air to an execution really i think and that I it was a perfect to, springboard yeah. but yeah then you have to it springboard off of it exactly the, yeah. and you have to find a way to weave it and um so yeah i would say you know and we got we had a few reviews out of the new york film festival just festival reviewers and um i try not to read those because <laughs> i get very upset i get very i have of course it's like it's so personal I was going to ask because nobody <laughs> likes the criticism. I mean, I, yeah. I say constructive criticism still feels like criticism. Yes, yes. But when you read something with your heart and soul into it, almost anything just rips you apart, doesn't You're it? You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, I, the head of the New York Film Festival said to me at one of the parties, because I, I had heard that there was some review that was not very friendly, and but I decided not to read it. And he just, like, he said, don't read any of them. Don't even read the good ones good because advice. you're going to find one line, even in the good ones, yep. that's going to nag at you and stick at you. And he said, "I want." You. He said, "This is a wonderful film. It wouldn't we wouldn't yep. have put it here if we didn't support it." You just keep doing your work, and it was such a reassuring thing. And so now I've taken that on. I'm like, I'm not even reading the good ones. <laughs> you know, it's interesting Smart. because because um, I'll never forget Richard Schickel from. Time magazine, you know, he was a famous film reviewer. Oh, yeah. And I was, you know, I don't know how old I was when I started reading Richard Schickel's reviews, probably like nine. <laughs> I was a weird kid. Um, but I was just like, this guy's trying to find something to rip apart mm-hmm. because it's his job. Right. And, and his ego. Yeah. You know, um, so I agree with the head of the New York Film Festival. <laughs> yes. So what thank can, you, Ken Jones. <laughs> yes, thank you. What can we expect from Ivy Mirapol next? Mm, well, I have a few things I want to do. I always, you know, I always have a few things going and hope that one will stick. Okay. I mean, that's kind of that's smart. We have to yeah. do yeah. that. Anything smart. you can let us know, or they still oh, up yeah, your sure. sleeve. No, no, no. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing I do, I am. Um, connected to this film is I want to do a scripted, a narrative series, limited series based on this documentary about Roy Com. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, if you know that, did you see Loudest Voice in the Room? No. Um, so no. that was about Roger Ailes, and I'm it's a Showtime. That, I know. Okay. Well, you have to steal yourself, but no. it's excellent. I and it, Russell, yeah. Russell Crowe plays Roger Ailes. Yep. And it's a limited wow. Showtime series. And it, so it's a good example of what I'm thinking could be done, should be done with Cone. Because I've so there's so many stories that I didn't get to put in gotcha. to the documentary. Interesting. And I've always wanted to write. I mean, I've, it's been a long time, but I you know, work in scripted film or television. And this seems like a great opportunity. I have so much material. So I've started working on that. Very good. And And then another project that I have going... It's going to sound like a departure, but it, but it actually, I think it fits with my interest in going like behind the scenes and process. And um, it's uh, on the outer Cape right now in, in Massachusetts, um, in province, the Provincetown area that I explored with Cone. Um, I spent a lot of time out there. There is um, an inundation of great white sharks. Right. You probably read about it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like, it's, and it's really starting to affect the community. Right. And I want to make a documentary that goes behind the scenes of all the players, like the scientists, the environmentalists, the town managers, the tourism board, the businesses, 
and and show as they grapple with what the hell to do about this problem and film it like a real life Jaws as an homage to Jaws because it is that story but it's it also is. but it's also a story about how we might have to start bending to nature rather than oh my God. assuming that we it's that, all the, it's all environmental that nature can yeah. bend that bend to us right so I'm, fascinating i'm you know it's a, it's it's fascinating so we'll see i mean i'm 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 getting close i think to setting that one up i have a shark app on my phone oh yeah o search which well, is unbelievable well there's a, an app that's used just on the outer cape now okay um that the atlantic right. great white conservancy started called sharktivity okay you can see where the tag sharks are on all the beaches the wow. tagged ones the tagged ones yeah right. there's a lot that there's aren't. a lot more uh-huh. and it's just a fascinating way of looking at absolutely this bigger question of what i mean what climate change and so many other things are and and the fact that there's still mystery out there that we don't know right. even all the science these are 400 million year old creatures right. who we don't, still don't know a lot about right um right. And maybe we I don't. love how curious you are and how <laughs> how expansive, and you know you're not like I'm gonna do a documentary about the evolution of the Easter Bunny. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> do another series about Roy Cohen, and then I'm gonna take on the Great White Shark issue. Like, oh my God, <laughs> this woman! You're like my hero. Oh, thank you. I love it. That'd well, be awesome. Well, we gotta wrap. We gotta wrap. Oh, but that went by in a, oh my in a God. blink. <laughs> um, I would love to to host you again sometime. I would love to be back. And um, you got anything on on the way out, my dear Mr. Wilson? No, I'm I'm fascinated Me and too. really <laughs> the, really intrigued by the idea of the limited series because you can just see it developing. I yes, mean, I don't know, nothing like it's been done. Well, about him been done. Right. But, and what a good concept. That well, is. I mean, if you look at. Um, American history through the lens of Roy Cohn from like 1949 till he dies Blowing in 1986. It's you know it's my grandparents' case, of course. It's McCarthyism. Yep. It's you know the 60s, the swinging 70s, and Studio 54 life in New York City. Yep. It's and then it's the AIDS crisis. He's at the center of all these. So through him. To get to look at that, but it almost, feels... almost feels like the '60s and the '70s were the anomaly, and it's like all this stuff, and now it's come back through Donald Trump. Yeah, and it's it never left. Like it you said left, earlier, yeah. it, it feels like it never left. It didn't. In a sense. It didn't leave. It was. It's all about opportunity. Mm-hmm. And now they're identifying people who don't agree with their. Oh yeah, the purge. Yeah, the yeah. purge. Oh yeah. my God. I know. I know. It's terrifying. We can't even get into that. But oh my God. Yeah. You know? No, it's absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, Sarah, the the rise of anti-Semitism. Yep. Um, it's really, really scary. We've got to get rid of this guy. Um, oh Lord. Um, it's going to be a vote. I don't know how. I mean, I don't like. I don't know who who can beat him. I don't. No one's just, impressing me, but I don't so almost scary. care at this point. Bloomberg <laughs> is wrong. Bloomberg is wrong. Let's just get that. It's out of okay. Way. Somebody has to beat this guy. <laughs> we are we're a, now we're, we're we're a liberal podcast. Yeah, no. Now we're sorry. Gonna, <laughs> yes, right. Sorry, all you Trump. We love our Trump supporters out there. Learn something about Roy Cohn. <laughs> if Donald Trump will give us an interview, we'll go. No, if he wins, we're thinking about leaving the country. Oh, I gotcha. Oh, Seriously. Boy. I know. I did try to get an interview with Trump, by the way. Well, let's try again. You should ask his 
son to preview the documentary he's, oh while he's hunting God. grizzly bears up there in Alaska. No. And he'll say something stupid and snarky. I mean, but it, it, get it out. Get you it know? out. Oh, get look, it on his I, radar, I welcome know? a tweet from the president or any of his. Okay. I am very, very <laughs> grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Thank Lovely you. Talking with Thank you. I'm very, for very me. grateful to the the wonderful executives. Katie Klein has been f- fantastic to work with, and my brand new friend, who's I got to put glasses on to read her name because <laughs> I'm blind. Brittany Westbeer. Brittany, you were terrific this morning. Thank you, and Miss Mirapol, Ivy Mirapol. Lovely, lovely. Young, accomplished. Thank you for calling woman. me young. <laughs> you are. You've got a lot. You've got a lot of stories to tell in the future, and I'm a fan. Thank you. And I'm going to be watching. Thank you so. And much. thank you so much for being with us today. We're thank girls you. on film, and we are out. <laughs> <laughs>